Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. All right, well, good morning, North Shore. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Uh, well, you probably noticed we started just a hair late. Uh, and I want to tell you online, that was because of you. There was a little technology glitch. Thank you. And uh, we had to wait a second to get connected. So I'm glad that you are here, those that are online. I was just reminded in greeting some people this morning um, how many people are watching online and have been with us for over a year. So those that are gathered, I'd love to see you. I'd love to give you hugs and shake your hand. Uh, but remember, we have a lot of our family and people we don't even know. Many, many people will come, never been to this building before, have, and, and tell me, hey, been watching for a year online. And so, um, again, we love you guys. Well, are you ready for some food here in a bit? Okay, I am in a dangerous spot right now. I am between you and food, and I am terrified right now, just so you know. <laughs> but we're going to have a good time. As uh, it was uh, told you early on, that we are starting a new series uh, this September. Can you believe it's September? I mean, time has just kind of got all crazy, hasn't it? Uh, like, September, are you kidding me? That means kids have started school or will be starting school. A lot of you. Um, will be going back to work on site and just all these kinds of new things. And in that, I thought, boy, how appropriate for us to be reminded of our vision and our mission as we get ready to engage the world. Uh, and I'd call it this uh, new world. What I, I don't know if I'd call it a brave new world, okay? I'll leave that to you. To, you name it what you want to name it, okay? Okay. Uh, but we are heading out there, and it's important to say, God, who do you have us to be? Who do you have North Shore to be? And so I'm excited to go through that over the course of the next three to four weeks. So let me pray, and let's just talk about uh, kind of kicking this off. Will you pray with me? Father God, we love you. And we come to gather uh, in your name around your word. Would you speak to us individually? and collectively, and as we look at vision and mission, God, we don't want them to just be words. We want to be doers of your word. And so would you set our minds and our hearts and our lives into action? Because, Lord, this world needs to see your kingdom uh, desperately. And you've called us to be torchbearers for that, and we receive that now. So I pray you'd speak to us individually and collectively. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so I want to start today with, um, I don't even know what you call it. I've been trying to name it. I'm going to call it this, uh, a slogan. And it's this, uh, North Shore Christian Church, what we believe is that hope changes everything. Hope changes everything. And I was preparing this message on talking about hope changing everything. I just took, it didn't take very long, just to start researching. What is the state of hope in our communities? If you need a Bible, kick your hand up there. We'll get one to you. What is the state of hope in our communities? Now, you could answer that at some level. First thing I noticed, I was reading in the Everett Herald, 
and noticed one uh, department of fire and rescue. They said their calls for people's mental health well-being has increased 25% in the last two years to a point that they're understaffed. They can't answer all those calls of people having uh, not mental illness, mental health, and there's a difference, right? Their mental well-being has been hit. Looked at psychology today and read a, a couple of different articles, and this is staggering. That in the last two years, the American person uh, has increased triple those who are feeling uh, uh, depression and anxiety. And it's quadrupled those who have had in the last two years suicidal thoughts, losing hope. And this one just got me really hard. Uh, Pew Research, a very reputable think tank, reported this. 51% of today's teenagers in the United States feel anxious, depressed, and hopelessness. 51%. Now, to, to check those numbers, ready? Do your own survey. Think about your conversations that you've had. People are angry, they're mad, they're fed up. They're anxious, they're depressed, they're lonely. Hopelessness is setting in. It's setting in in, in our schools, in our workplaces. I mean, grocery stores, you know, restaurants, everywhere you just feel this sense in our interpersonal relationships. And the bad thing is even in our churches, even in our churches. And I was thinking about this and just sitting there. I was reminded of, of one of my favorite paintings by George Frederick Watts, uh, painted in 1880s or something. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Uh, he does call it hope. And I don't know if you can see the details here. It's an amazing painting. Uh, and every time I see it, it just moves me. You know, so uh, what he's done is uh, he's called uh, England's Michelangelo, so you know, right? Uh, and he's got this earth, right, that's kind of dark. And you see these colors that you just feel the despair, the, the mist there. You just feel that darkness is coming from it. And there's this woman there that this hopelessness has her blinded. She can't even see. She's kind of tattered. You can see the bottoms of her feet that she's lived a hard life. You see them soiled from walking. And she sits there and she leans in and in this broken lyre. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Am I saying that right, you musicians? I got it? Okay. Um, if you can see it clear, there's only one string remaining. You see that? And she's leaning into that. And she's listening. And you can see her hand down there about to pluck it. Hoping to hear that note that will bring her hope. And it'll begin to be a catalyst to change everything for her in this despair. And it's so true when I see this. I'm reminded for us, we have a string of hope. And all the despair, everything around us, there's a string. 
It's Jesus Christ. He's not just the last remaining uh, string not broken. Scripture tells us he's the only string. Acts 4.12, by no other name in heaven will man be saved. Jesus is our hope. John 14.6, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That string is Jesus. And in these times, we've got to lean in, and we've got to reach down, and we've got to pluck that string and hear that beautiful note that will begin to change everything. Because hope is our story. As followers of Jesus, hope is our story. Not covid not race wars. All these things fit under this thing, but the umbrella, the one cord that we have is Jesus. And we've got to play that beautiful, life-giving cord and start hope. See, our scriptures, uh, it's, just, it's a book of hope. See, in Genesis chapter 3 was a time when really hope wasn't even a thing because Adam and Eve were in the garden with God in deep fellowship, had everything they needed, and they ate from the tree, right? You know where this goes. And all of a sudden, we see man for the first time in a hopeless state, figs over them, hiding from God, hopeless. Now what? Now we're naked. And what God comes in, Genesis 3.15. I love this. He says, man, he brings in hope right away. He's so full of grace. And he says to the serpent, this woman's offspring will crush your head. This is going no further than this. Right? He will crush his head. And then what we, for the first time, were introduced to what Titus 2.13 says is the blessed hope, this Jesus that we wait for, we long for, that he is coming. And it changes everything for us. So no longer are we caught in a moment, stuck in this situation, whatever that is. But our gaze is lifted up to Jesus Christ. And we are foreigners, sojourners going through this land, playing the chord of hope as we go to our promised future of Jesus. But I love this. It's not just a forever hope. Romans 15, 13, which is really kind of our core verse. Uh, Paul prays for uh, the people, the Jews and the Gentiles there. And what he says this is, uh, may the God, the Father of hope, bless you with joy and peace in believing through the Holy Spirit, that you may abound in hope, it says. That this hope is a right now thing. It's not, boy, I've got a white knuckle and get through this. No, no, God is working right now. I don't know if he's laughing, so excuse this phrase, but I've got to believe he's up there and say, ha ha, enemy of God, my adversary, watch what I can do through COVID. Watch what 
my followers are too. They're going to be filled with hope, and they're going to believe for something greater right now in any and every situation. Hope is right now. And it changes everything. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And look at that. It's, just, it's incredible. It says that we were born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ through the Father's mercy. What it's saying is this, is you are going to be made new, brand new. Everything changes because of Jesus Christ. So whatever you close your eyes and you think about, and it hits you, it stings a little bit. God is the God over that. Hope is right there to be found and seen. And we've got to play that chord. We've got to be people that bring that hope. Matthew 28, 19, right? The Great Commission. We are called to be people as followers of Jesus Christ to carry relationally that hope to this world around us. So that they may know, that they may see this hope. They may receive this hope. They may grow in this hope. So in turn, they can take and bring this message of hope through discipling of people. You know, we at North Shore take that seriously, God's call to us to make disciples in a relational manner. Ten years ago, uh, God called the leadership at North Shore to step into something called relational discipleship. And we joined uh, the Relational Discipleship Network and began to learn how do we live out this great commission as Jesus did and do what Jesus did so we can see the results of bringing hope to this world like Jesus did in his power and the power of our Holy Spirit. And so we started traversing and learning about that. And along the way, we got to meet uh, a lot of people and some new friends in this. And, and one of those friends, I've asked if he would come and speak to us. His name is Luke Yetter, um, and he's the executive director of the Relational Discipleship Network, okay? um, which I, I'm on the national board. I, I serve with Luke there. Uh, it's incredible what God has done here. But here's why I asked Luke to share He's my friend. I like him. Uh, that's, that's one of them. But it's this. I know Luke's story. Okay? And Luke's story is a story of hope found. Luke's story is one. As you begin to learn our vision and mission, you're going to see that played out in Luke's life. As you know, you're hear about people pouring into him, about hope lost, hope found. And it's gross. So I'm very, very excited. So will you partner with me in welcoming Luke Yetter to the stage? Luke, come share about. Thank you, Dad. Love you, Scott. Thank you. Wow. All right. So uh, when Scott asked me to, uh, to come up here and share my story, First, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'd love to do that. You know, that'd be cool. You know, and then I started thinking about it like, I don't get up in front of people and just speak every week, so it's not like my, my actual calling gifting. So I was starting to get nervous. And something about three or four years ago, my wife and I went to this conference that our friends talked us into going, and, and it was all about getting in touch with your feelings, and it, it was really powerful. And so now when I share my story, I actually have emotions and feelings with it. So it's, yeah, it's way harder now. 
So I had to add that into the equation to go like, oh man, oh gosh, so I don't exactly know the emotions that will come out as I tell my story, so, so bear with me. So, all right, I wanna, uh, wanna introduce uh, my family to you because uh, they're critically a part of my life. So my amazing wife, Casey in the middle, if I gotta stand up here, you gotta stand up. Stand up, Casey, stand up, come on. This is my amazing wife. Yeah, my second best decision, asking her to marry me. Yes, yes. I got uh, Zachary, our oldest boy on the left. He's so, uh, he's so brave and so tenderhearted. I got Jacob, our next. He's just, uh, loves, he's just quick to laugh, very, uh, very wants to love to have fun. My uh, daughter, Riley Jo, oh my goodness, she's so, uh, she's so engaging and she's so precious. And so uh, um, I don't know where you guys are at with your family. Maybe you've already raised, maybe you have grandkids, maybe you haven't had kids yet. But here's what I want to share. I want to share some of my story, some of my journey, and hopefully uh, you'll be able to uh, connect with it, and you're on this journey as well, and uh, it is a journey, a very hope-filled journey. And so I'll kind of start uh, in, the, in the beginning when I was, uh, I was raised in North Idaho, in eastern, the top north part of eastern Washington and North Idaho, and I was raised uh, in a tent, so I have kind of a unique upbringing. I was raised in a, in a tent uh, with no running water and no electricity. And uh, my mom was a survivalist, and so that's what she just moved off the grid. She grew up in a very uh, physically, uh, very uh, painful uh, environment, so she wanted to get us completely away, get us up in the mountains, you know, and uh, so that's what we did. So I grew up eating every and shooting every animal and eating everything you can think of and uh, showering in the creek and, and just crazy upbringing. So I just wanted, I was, it was about survival. So when I got out of the house, I really wanted to have some freedom. And so I lived in my car for uh, several years and I just traveled around the United States hustling pool. I committed to play pool, I got pretty good at it. And I just traveled around and shot pool, lived in my car and thought, man, this is the best. This is the best. Like, wow, life couldn't be so good. Then I thought, you know, I, I, might, not get, I, I might need to get a real job. So, you know, so I thought, well, okay. Went to college, went four years, did not graduate. I got hired out of college into sales. Uh, did pretty good in sales. I was pushing myself because I didn't feel real valuable as a person. I thought my performance was my valuable, my value. So my mom didn't like raise us. She wasn't, none of us went to church. None of us ever did that. My mom didn't raise us in a good, healthy Christian home. She didn't know that. She was never been to church. I'd never been to church. So I was raised that whatever you do for performance is your value. So when I was in sales, I pushed, 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 was a top salesperson, and I thought, man, I want to start my own company. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I want to start my own company. I started my own company, and I pushed and pushed and pushed, and my company grew way beyond my leadership. I was always bringing in people to try to help me and figure stuff out, and it grew, and I thought, man, I need to get married. I'm about 32 years old, let's, I, I need to get married. My company's growing, and I thought, you know, this would be awesome. So that's how I met Casey. I had hired her, and uh, about six or seven years later, her beyond staff, uh, we, get, we get married, and uh, we decide to uh, go down this road of marriage. Well, in my upbringing, my mom had been married and divorced five times, her mom seven times, my dad three times, okay? So what I had modeled for me is when it gets tough, just get a new one. You know, I mean, come on, let's not really push through it, let's just get a new one. So our first year of marriage, we don't know the Lord, We've never been to church. I don't know what that looks like. And we're fighting and arguing all the time, okay? 
And at this point, I had sold my company, and I had retired early. Okay, so I sold it, and I was done. I didn't need to work anymore. And so I thought, man, it's all about just traveling across the world and fly fishing, and it was awesome. Well, I got really bored doing that. And so everything was working except for my marriage. And that was irritating and frustrating because I went to counselors. We went counselor after counselor after counselor. We couldn't fix it. And so I said, man, who do you know who actually has a good marriage? And she mentioned her aunt and, aunt and uncle. So we scheduled a dinner, and I'm going to get some answers. I'm going to get our marriage fixed, right? So we have dinner, and I'm like, okay, how are you guys making it work? You guys have been married for 20 years. How are you doing it? And they started to lay out, well, first of all, you got to put God right in the center of your marriage. And I was like, oh. Like, I, mean, I was not prepared for that. I never even thought of that, right? And I was like, oh, God, oh, i got to follow the rules. I'm not a rule follower. So we left dinner, and that's what I took away is we got to put God in the marriage. And how I built my company is I uh, recruited people that were much smarter than me. I picked their brain, and what they said I applied. And so I was big on finding mentors. And so I was like, okay, we got to figure this out. we gotta, we got we to figure this out. So somebody said, uh, you gotta, I just figured you got to put God, you got you to find God in the building. Okay, so I thought we got to go to church. We're going to, right, and we got to find a building. So we're going through the yellow pages, right, like eeny, meeny, miny, mo, right? I had a friend that went to this one church. I don't remember the name of it. We looked it up. And then we go to this church, and I'll describe. We went in there, and uh, it kind of smelled like dead old people. Just, I was not prepared for that, right? You're going to get the raw version. I'm sorry. You're going to get the raw version. I'm not the polished guy, right? Okay. So it smelled like dead old people, and... You know, they, they were worshiping. I don't know any of the songs. It's totally awkward. You got to stand up, clap, sit down, stand up, right, clap, all that stuff. And, uh, and, I, and I'm just there to save our marriage, right? We fought all the way there, right? And I'm in pain and frustration. And I'm like, gosh, how's this going to save our marriage? And I'm, I'm thinking, put God in the building, okay? And we're all done doing the, the, the service. It went about an hour, 15 minutes. And I follow everybody else out. And we're standing out in the parking lot. And I'm like, this is the routine. I've never been to church before. I was like, I can tell you, like, I built a company, multiple locations across the United States. I put together processes and systems to hit a target. And that routine, I can tell you, is not going to change our marriage. Does that make sense? There's no way. So I'm going to return to my wife and say, man, if this is God, I don't see how our marriage isn't going to change at all. Right? We tried one more building. Exact same experience. So I was like, okay. Did the whole God thing. Like, that ain't going to work. Right? Then, thank goodness, we went to Real Life Ministries. One of the staff people I hired said, you got to go check out Real Life Ministries. It's different. Go there. Check it out. It's different. And she's in sales, and she convinced me to go. So she kind of closed the deal, which was, I'm so thankful for. <laughs> Britt, if you're out listening, thank you. So it was awesome. We go to, we go to Real Life Ministries. a little different. It's a couple hundred people at the church. And there were some differences. We walked in. It didn't smell like dead old people. It smelled like coffee. There's people running around dressed normal, you know. And... Uh, the sermon, though, I still didn't understand a lot of the, uh, the, the music, the words, and the sermon. But here's what was cool. is when service was over, I did hear, you need to get, into, uh, you need to get connected into relationship. And here's something that uh, Pastor Jim had said at the time. Um, he said this. He goes, he goes, I want to talk about the purpose of the church. And I thought, man, that'd be really good because I've already been to two of them. And I have no clue what the purpose of the church is. Right? It's the purpose of the church. Make disciples of Jesus. He goes, that's the purpose of the church. He goes, if you don't know Jesus, that's the first thing you need. You need Jesus. And he goes, do you think it's my job to lead you guys to the Lord if you didn't know the Lord? There's two, three hundred of you here. Do you think it's my job? And I thought, well, yeah, they just passed the bucket. They're paying you to do that. <laughs> right? And then he says, that's not my job. How could I possibly lead two, three hundred? I don't even know you guys. I know some of you, but I don't know a lot of you. So I thought, well, that made sense. And then he goes, maybe it's a person that invited you. Maybe it's their job to lead you to the Lord. He goes, but, you know, if you don't know the Lord, that's your first step. Second step, get plugged into a home group. Home group's not an answer. 
But there's an opportunity to have a relationship there. And so I didn't, that's all I kind of heard is our next step, get plugged into home group. So uh, service is over. My wife and I are uh, getting ready to leave, and this, this couple comes up and says, hey, do you go to church here? And I went to high school with him. I hadn't seen him for a long time, and he's shocked. He goes, do you really, you go to church here? You know? And I was like, well, it's my first time. And he goes, you should come check out our home group. And I was like, oh, I know it's going to be a Bible. I go, what's it about? Oh, it'll be fun, food, hang out. You know, and I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. It's going to be some sort of big, deep Bible study, and I don't even know anything about it. However, uh, he left, and I didn't know the Holy Spirit. I didn't know about any of that stuff. So I told my wife, uh, I go, I think we should go check out this home group. It's the next step. And so I didn't have a Bible, so I didn't know what that was going to look like. So I went to a staff person and said, hey, I found a little name tag. I said, uh, I'm thinking about going to a home group. My wife and I, I don't have a Bible. Where do you get one? All the places I've been, <laughs> they don't sell them, okay? <laughs> and so I don't know where, I've never even seen one in a store. And so he goes, hang on. He runs up to his office, comes back, and he gives me this really thick Bible. It's like this thick. And I'm like, oh, man, he thinks I'm one of those smart people. And he, and, and he, didn't, he didn't want to hand it to me. He kept going, here, oh, I don't want to offend you, but here you go. And I was like, just give me the book, right? And then uh, he gives it to me, and it's all in color. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm going through the sucker. I'm like, wow, this is cool. I didn't know they made Bibles in color. Well, it was a children's Bible, okay? Okay? Oh, yeah, baby. I got my children's Bible, I'm 33 years old, my wife and I, we're headed to our first home group, right? Okay, here's what was cool is this, Tim, Tim and Shari called us ahead of time, hey, you guys coming, home group? I'm like, yeah, we pull up, and I'm telling, should I bring my Bible? <laughs> She's like, do not, I'll kill you if you bring that Bible. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, I'll just give you a quick first home group experience, uh, uh, Tim was friendly, called me ahead of time, gave me directions. We walk in, there's like 18 people sitting around in a circle. I can tell they kind of know each other. We're the new people. Oh, we're kind of, it's kind of awkward. But I'm there because pain, right? I just want to save my marriage, right? I, that's why I'm doing this. And so uh, they're telling the story of these three guys that get thrown in the fire. I've never heard this story. And they're saying the names really fast. I can't really track with what, I, what they're really saying. I think. So my wife and I are sitting there going, are they saying this? I don't know. Casey goes, why don't you ask? So I go, hey, uh, Tim, are you guys saying what I think you're saying? And Tim goes, the whole group's quiet. And then Tim goes, well, Luke, what do, you, what do you think we're saying? I keep in mind my upbringing, tense, and we move to a shack. Okay, so I'm, I'm that's, you know. so I say, are you saying, as you're saying these names really fast, are you saying my shack, your shack, and to bed we go? Yeah, that's what I thought they were saying. I never heard the story before. So, of course, they did exactly this. They chuckled and laughed, and Tim's trying to, like, make sure I'm not too embarrassed so I can come back, right? He's like, oh, you know. So here's what I love about uh, what Tim and Shari did. They, they understood their role. They understood their role. They were Christians. Like Christians meaning they, have, they had a walk with Jesus, because I think everybody claims to be a Christian, but I think they had a walk with Jesus. They understood their role was to be and make disciples. And they chose to invest into us. So Tim was, he's not on staff, he was just a, uh, a church staff, he was a full-time electrician, she was a full-time school teacher, and they carved out time to invest into Casey and I. And I'll tell you, that was a game changer. Like, how I thought Christians were hypocritical, judgmental, I'd never had anybody that claimed to be a Christian invest in me. They were quick to judge, and quick to like cause hurt and pain. So here's now Tim, we're doing basketball together, we're doing baseball together, he's inviting us to our home, and I can tell you what, when he, I wanted what he had. He did have hope, 
in his marriage. His marriage looked completely different than ours. And I was like, what are you doing? How are you figuring this out? You know what? He goes, well, I'm putting God right in the center of our marriage. And I'm like, yeah, I've heard that before. Okay, you got to walk me through this. What does this mean? He goes, he walked me through the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. And I never had ever heard anything about the Holy Spirit before. I never really heard anything. So I had somebody that I was in relationship with that started to walk this out. Because we were arguing and fighting and he could see it. And he's like, man, you guys don't have any common ground. You don't have the Holy Spirit in you. You need Jesus. And I was like, okay. So here's what I'm thankful for. He got to know me, lead me to the Lord, and then start to answer questions as I started to mature. And I can tell you the same thing with Casey. She accepted Jesus a couple weeks before I did. And when she did, she said, man, I accepted Jesus. I was like, oh, no. Oh, man. You know, I was like, gosh, what does that mean for me? Well, here's what was cool. Was Tim and Shari understood their role as disciple makers. And they understood their role to invest into people. They were ordinary people. They weren't in full-time ministry at all. But they saw their role as a full-time disciple maker. And so for me, it was huge. Except in Jesus, I didn't know the strength of the Holy Spirit. I've been trying to do everything in my own strength. And it wasn't working. And now I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I get the Holy Spirit. And suddenly I get a conscience for the first time. For the very first time, I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. I mean, my whole world was filled with sin. I had no idea. And so little by little by little, I had somebody there walking beside me. It was huge. It was just absolutely a game changer. And so for me, I'm a big fan. I don't think home groups solve it by any stretch, but I think when you're in a home group or in some sort of group, and that's led by a leader who really gets like, they're creating a relational environment for the opportunity for you to grow in your walk with the Lord. And it created an opportunity for me to be invested in. And so I'm a raving fan of Jesus. I'm a raving fan here of North Shore, because North Shore is all about walking beside people, making disciples, relationally, loving God and loving others. And so what I love about that is I get the opportunity to come here and share some of my story, but I get to do it at North Shore, and I, I know the folks here. Like, I, I, with Scott and uh, Sandy were at our house about a week and a half ago. I know Pat, and I just, I love the fact that Pat and Lisa, I know them. I just know Damien. I know your guys' hearts, Greg, Rick, the community pastors. I love your guys' heart to actually walk out being and making disciples. And so for me, it's an honor to get to come here, be able to preach, not preach, but share my story, hopefully cast some hope. I don't know where you're at in your walk with the Lord, but man, it's exciting. I hope you take a next step. And I'm glad that uh, North Shore was willing to invite me to speak here. I could share some of my journey. And I'm glad that uh, North Shore, you're all in for making disciples. What I love about your story, Luke, uh, obviously is the Jesus piece, right? You know, I, I came to know the Lord in my 20s, so older, you know, no church upbringing. Uh, my wife also got saved before me, and that, I don't know if that's your, it, it terrifies you, just so you know exactly what you're getting. It's like, oh no, you know, um, uh, but just to, to watch what Jesus can do in a life, in a home, um, you know, getting to know your kids over these last couple of years, that this impact um, it, it grows. It's not just you. It's not just Casey, but it's your kids. Uh, it's going to be their kids. It's this generational thing when Jesus shows up. So when we answer the call to step into somebody's life for the sake of making disciples of Jesus Christ, uh, you're not just impacting 
one person, you know, two people, three people, four people, many, many people that God is impacts. And now, Luke, you serve as a director of an organization that is worldwide. Uh, the impact of that invitation to that home group uh, now impacts, I don't even know what the number is. It's incredible. It's a big number, and it's all over the world. So the thing about this, uh, I was thinking of 1 Peter 3.15. And in 1 Peter 3.15, it talks about being prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. So that letter is from Peter talking to God's people, followers of Jesus. And I love it. There's an assumption in there. That is a s- assumption is that if you are walking with Jesus, people are going to ask, you better be ready. Because that's what hope does. Hope is contagious. It is attractive. People are drawn to it. And so as Luke was saying, I want to encourage you, and I'm going to invite the band. I, I think they're getting this way to come on out. I want you to think about uh, this is, do you have hope? Not just a good outlook, but in your heart of hearts, spiritually, do you have hope? Do you have hope for eternity through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross? Of him going to that cross for your sins, shedding his blood to cleanse you, and then going to the grave And then three days later, rising again to have that final victory over death so that you can join him for eternity. Do you have that hope? And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, don't wait another second. Don't wait another second. The band's going to play. I'm going to be right up here. There'll be some other people to pray with. You come. You talk to us. You say yes to Jesus in faith. And he's good and he's faithful. And he'll give you that hope. If you're somebody here and you know Jesus and you don't know hope, this world has just beat you down. You're dragging. It's tough. You can't see in front of you because it's just your brokenness. Step out. Come pray with us. Talk to somebody. Join a life group, right? Get in a community of people of hope and journey together. Let somebody pour into your life. Out in the lobby, there's a a table out there. You'll see it when you go out there, and there's people there ready to answer questions about joining a life group or any other thing that you may have. But to help you begin that journey of finding hope in Jesus with somebody that wants to invest in your life. And if you're somebody and you say, I have hope. Oh, yeah, I'm confident. I've got that. I, I, this, yeah, I got it. Then you be a life group leader. You step into a ministry. You start taking people on a journey of hope, answering that great commission by Jesus Christ to pour into somebody else. You know, we are here on this earth for a purpose. It's not just to work, build a retirement, and drive an RV around. Yeah, no, yeah, 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 we all, we have that hopes and dreams of that, but it's, it's hope, lowercase h. The hope we're talking about and that we're called to is uppercase h. It's Jesus and only Jesus. And God wants to use you. Don't waste your life.
the world desperately needs followers of Jesus to pour into other people's lives and make disciples, people filled with hope of Jesus Christ. So I want to call you to that. You check in that table and say, you know what? This is a huge risk. And I'm hoping what's happening right now, that little pain you feel in your side, that's your husband or your wife going, you know what I mean? You know, that's how a lot of church convictions happen, right? <laughs> right? Uh, listen to it. North Shore, let's go change the world, change our communities through hope in Jesus one person at a time. That is our call. Luke, thank you. Josh, will you just kind of take us there? God bless you, North Shore. I love you.